0: Like, is Biden beatable in 2024? Like, absolutely. I mean, his approval is not very good. There are concerns about his, his capacity to, to do the job, et, et cetera. Um, but a lot of it's just going to depend on what the alternative is because these things, as we found out, in 20, even in the 2020 to midterm, you know, midterms are often referendums. That election was not, at least not in a lot of key places.
1: Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara Ong-Whaley.
0: And I'm Kyle Kondik.
1: So Kyle, let's talk about the State of the Union address that happened this week. Um, You have a new piece out with Miles on the crystal ball that talks about the State of the Union and what it might mean and puts it in historical context. Um, One of the things you kind of noted right away early on is just the way in which State of the Unions are pretty formulaic. And I wonder if, you know, we might start by talking about whether or not we should rethink how the State of the Union is carried out um, and whether this kind of speech really matters anymore.
0: You know, it's interesting because viewership for it really is is typically very high. I mean, it's usually one of the most watched, sort of, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, like television programs of the year. Um, the viewership for this one was a little under 30 million, which is actually pretty low. Um yeah. it's it's pretty comparable to um uh to to the audience for Biden's quote unquote, first state of the union, which I guess the the first one a president does is typically not, it's not really referred to as state of the union. It's a, you know, it's an address to Congress. Um, but you, so the ratings for this, were, this were comparable to, to the 2021 Biden speech to Congress, uh, it was higher last year. And, you know, the, the state of the unions for, um, for other recent presidents have generally been, been higher, but at the same time, you know, a shade under 30 million people, that's still a lot of viewers. And, you generally expect um, the the audience to sort of skew toward the party of the president in power because um, the people who don't like the president maybe you know just are less likely to tune in. Although it is interesting and it, it probably just speaks to Fox News' sort of dominance of, of cable TV, but um, I believe that Fox News was still the, the single largest source of viewers for, for this, for this program. So, um, but you know, even, even the, the viewership of Fox can be, uh, uh ideologically kind of mixed, even though it's skews more, um, toward, toward folks who are, who are conservative, but, you know, generally, you know, democratic president, you'd expect more Democrats to tune in that, than, um, than, than Republicans. Um, you know, there, there, I, I can't remember where, where the article was, it might've been Politico, but they did something recently about some proposals to try to, um, change up the state of the union. Uh, I think at one point, um, Obama wanted to take the speech to Ohio, um, in, I think in the, I think it was 2012 to, you know, for sort of make it more of a campaign event. Um, we have seen in, um, for instance, in Ohio, um, when John Kasich was governor, he took the state of the, the state of the state on the road, which I kind of thought was sort of a cool innovation. But I don't know if Congress would ever go for that, and, and that that idea seems to have died. Um, but also, just the the sort of routine of it—you know, sort of rattling off accomplishments, the president asking for things for Congress, you know, looking at people in the audience to highlight certain things—you know, it's 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 kind of a paint by numbers speech and. I think it helps explain why why state of the unions are generally not regarded as sort of great american oratory they're not generally remembered as sort of among the most famous american speeches you know, i made reference to this now granted it's just one book or whatever but um i've got a, all the these library of america volumes um those those cool little books you'll see at the bookstore that have the uh, black covers and are of you know madison james madison or thomas jefferson or whatever mm-hmm. They have a, a, a two-volume set on, on history of American political rhetoric and, and sort of the most notable speeches. And um, the second volume of it, which covers sort of the, the era of the modern State of the Union, which starts with Woodrow, Woodrow Wilson um, returning the speech to an in, in-person address um, all the way through that that volume ends with Bill Clinton. Um, there's only one State of the Union address in the whole book. Uh, and that was FDR's 1941 uh, address to Congress, in which he laid out uh, the, the famous four freedoms that would be sort of a you know, kind of a, a guiding uh, uh, principle or goal of of what would become the American effort in World War II. Obviously, the United States was not in the war at that at that time, but they would get into the war by the by the end of the year after Pearl Harbor. But other than that, you know, there are a lot of. Um, presidential inaugurals um, in that book there are other um, uh, presidential addresses to joint sessions of Congress um, but the State of the Union doesn't really make much of an uh, that much of an appearance and I think it goes to show that even though that the speech typically has a lot of eyeballs on it it's not uh, it, it generally doesn't uh, it, it doesn't necessarily have a long shelf life
1: yeah so you already kind of started talking about the history of state of the union speeches. Do you think that president Biden's speech this week stands out in any way by historic comparisons?
0: I wouldn't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, just me personally, I mean, I've been watching these speeches, I don't know, for 20 years or so. Um, you know, it seemed pretty similar to past ones. I guess, frankly, the, the, the audience has gotten sort of rowdier over time. Um, uh, and you know, that, that, uh, you know, we, we think back to, uh, representative joe wilson yelling you lie at obama when obama was talking about health care it's interesting that actually was not technically the state of the union um that speech was a uh uh, presidential address to a joint session of congress in september 2009 in which obama was asking for um for congress to pass what became the affordable care act which they which they eventually did but um but you know you did have some heckling and there were some kind of informal back and forth between Biden and um you know republicans in in the crowd that to me was a little bit new that that the president was sort of uh um, kind of almost engaging with the hecklers o- obama did a little bit of that I, I trump probably did i just don't remember i remember a few instances where obama um did that and so it's just it the the audience i think is a little um uh, less passive maybe than it used to be and of course the audience is overwhelmingly made up of of uh, you know the members of Congress them themselves. Uh you know, but but in terms of the content, um, you know, I don't think there was anything particularly noteworthy about it. You know, I do think, you know, look, I mean the, the bar for uh Biden speeches I don't think is particularly high. Um and frankly there are a lot of people out there who you know, believe that um, at the very least that Biden shows his age or that, you know, maybe he's even having, you know, cognitive problems or whatever. And look, hey, I'm no doctor. All I can, all I can tell you is what I see. And, you know, I I thought Biden was pretty much on his game. Uh, You know, I mean, again, he's not, he's not Barack Obama. He's not Ronald Reagan. He's not Bill Clinton as an orator. Um, But, uh, you know, for him, I thought it was a pretty good performance. And, you know, I don't see how you could look at that, Speech and how he performed in it, and say, "Oh, this is a person who is clearly compromised." I mean, again, I don't, I don't know what you know what the actual truth of the matter is, but um, I thought it was pretty good by 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 his standards.
1: Yeah, I mean, he he went off script uh, a couple of times actually during the speech and engaged with, um, especially. MAGA Republicans in the audience directly, and then also some other members of the Republican caucus. And, you know, it kind of struck me that it was almost, you know, he welcomed it and maybe had even put some lines in the speech to intentionally get a reaction from Republicans, um, uh, you know, just to maybe show that he still has the fire in the belly, right? Um, you know, still yeah. none. Um, you know, it, this wasn't an official campaign announcement, but the, you know, the line, let's get it done. And then some of the sparring back and forth, I think, was in, in many ways meant to demonstrate his ability to still campaign, to still engage despite his age.
0: Yeah, I thought Biden was was frankly kind of baiting the Republicans at certain points. Um, and you know, some of them ended up ended up taking the bait. Um, that was one of the, the you know, the themes of our our you know, the piece that we wrote was just that um, you know, the Republicans have this reputation for being pretty raucous these days, and and certainly nothing that happened on Tuesday night would, would you know, disavow you of that notion or make you think that that less than maybe you already thought before. But um, and, you know, afterward there was some uh you know, Biden hung around, he was glad handing with members of Congress, like you know, th- again, it wasn't like he was, um, you know, I guess, I guess it would, it would maybe raise more eyebrows if we thought that maybe, um, for this particular event that he was being sort of sheltered by staff or that he was sort of rushed in and rushed out. Um, and, and then, you know, uh, you, you know, maybe you, you'd think, oh, well, is he, you know, is, is, is he, you know, not capable of, you know, the glad handing or whatever, or the back and forth. And like, clearly he was, um, um, and again, I, you know, I bring this up, I mean, it's sort of a sensitive subject, but, you know, we, we, um, uh, after we did this Crystal Ball article, I got some got some sort of pushback from some readers who emailed us talking about we were, you know, glossing over um, Biden's decline and whatnot. And, you know, look, I mean, Biden's 80. He's he's clearly, um, you know, I think if you go back and watch clips of him from like, I don't know, the Paul Ryan debate in, in 2012, um, you know, which was 10 years ago at this point, the vice presidential debate or other clips, you know, c- clearly he's he's not he, – he, he is diminished, I think, from that time. But also you could argue that – the two best speeches of, you know, Potentially of Biden's whole career, at least or at least lately, were this speech and um, his acceptance address um, in 2020, which I thought. I mean, I, I don't think the speech was as good as uh, the 2020 acceptance speech, but but uh, um, I thought they both were, were 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 pretty good. Again, by by Biden's standards, um, you know he's not he's he's not going to go down as one of the you know as one of the great American um, um, uh, orators. You know, the, the, again, the way that you know I think about I think about Reagan and Clinton and Obama in that. Sort of in that sort of group and sort of modern American history.
1: Well, he's also, in my opinion, anyway, he's become less gaff prone. I mean, remember when the Republicans? I think it must have been um, when he was. uh, I I think it must have been in the 2008 campaign with Obama and the vice presidential debate. Republicans put up like a gaff counter to see how many gaffs (laughs) he would make in the debate. And you know, it seems to me actually there's been improvement even on that <laughs> over the last decade and a half. Um, so you know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of decline as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I mean, he was he he was certainly he, he was and is known for that and for um, and you know, he's made some some kind of uh, you know inflammatory you know comments in the past. I remember the uh, you know uh, Romney. Uh, uh, put you all back in chains, uh, statement to a, to a largely black audience. I think that was from the 2012 campaign. Um, you know, of course, a long, long time ago, you know, his 1988 presidential run was, um, was was uh undermined by uh you know accusations of of, of plagiarism from a you know from a from a, uh, a, a british politician and so that's all part of the you know the the biden story here um but again like like and, and, and you know maybe maybe you could say oh well you know he's he's meeting expectations where expectations are low and you know maybe that's maybe that's a, a fair statement but you know part of what's going on here is that um you know, even a lot of Democrats in polls, um they uh, uh, they're concerned about Biden running again. They maybe don't want him to run again. Um, you know, is there some sort of opening for a primary challenge? And you know, I think that that Biden at least sort of fought that off a little bit because if he, you know, if he came out and was was horrible and and um and was really showing real signs of decline um maybe that that noise gets louder you know maybe if the democrats got blown out in the last election that that would would invite more of a primary challenge um but those things didn't happen and so you know that was another thing we got into is that you know the uh, Biden seems to be in pretty decent shape for winning the nomination again even though you could point to polling that shows hey this guy's support is really soft
1: yeah there seems maybe we can talk a little bit more about approval here and then I do want to go back a little bit more to the substance of the speech but you know, how does Biden you talked a little bit about where he stands um, uh, on approval this week. So I wonder if you can dig into that a little bit. Um, and and where is he now relative to where previous presidents were? Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, the hesitancy, especially among Democrats for that, that's showing up in the polls of the electorate. Um, uh, the hesitancy among Democrats for him to run again. But there's also differences between the Democratic establishment and the electorate on whether he should run again.
0: Yeah. You know, look, so Biden's approval, if you look at um, the 538 aggregate of all the national polls, um, Biden's approval is like it's like forty two or forty three approve uh, um 51, 52 disapprove. And, you know, that's pretty similar, like where Trump was for a lot of his presidency. Um, Obama hit that lower point at certain times, particularly kind of in the 2014 to 2015 range. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for a president to be at this sort of level. You know, I think you would generally say that if, if, Obama, if, if Biden's approval is like this at the time of the presidential election, um, he'd probably stand a decent chance of losing. Although, you know, we did just have a midterm where, you know, people who are sort of soft disapprovers of Biden um, ended up voting Democratic anyway. And so um, there is kind of a more of a kind of a hold your nose aspect to American politics right now, because, um, you know, the, I mean, you know, Biden, I think, benefits a lot from from the Republican alternatives and the Republican alternatives just haven't been that great recently in, in a lot of key races. Um, so, you know, that and that's a that's a question about the 2024 race and, and who the Republicans ultimately um uh and end up nominating but uh you know again biden's standing is is not particularly good um you know it, it, and 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 again there there are polls that suggest that a lot of democrats don't think he should run again and you know maybe democrats are, are worried that you know he is um i believe at this point he's the oldest sitting president And of course every day that goes on that that you know he, he continues to hold that record and build on that record um and, uh, you know, it may just be that the party would want someone sort of, uh, uh, you know, younger and fresher, um, uh, t- you know, to take it on. I mean, Biden got elected in large part because he was seen as sort of a, a, a plausible alternative to Trump, not necessarily because he had a lot of organic support on his own. Um and and but you know on the, on the other hand if if Biden were to you know were to step aside or were to be beaten in primary or something, um you know you'd you'd, you'd probably open up a lot of divisions on the Democratic side that, um, Biden and you know opposition to Trump and Republicans is sort of papered over at this point so you know it's it's sort of. Um, I mean, there are risks either way, you know, I mean, Biden could be, you know, Biden is, is weak, he could perform poorly in the campaign, the Republicans could produce a better alternative, and all of a sudden, the Democrats could find themselves, you know, locked out of, of power in Washington. On the other hand, Biden retires, um, and maybe the party is, you know, rips itself apart and is unable to produce a, a candidate who's even better than Biden. So, um, you know, again, there, there are risks on, you know, on both sides here. Of course, you know, the Republicans face their own set of uh, their own set of risks, too. But, you know, Bottom line is I think that if 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 other Democrats felt that there was sort of blood in the water with Biden and that he was um that he was weak and he was beatable in a primary setting, maybe some of them would start be starting to emerge as 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 challengers. But no one of note has really done that yet, which I think at least speaks to Biden's continuing strength within the Democratic party anyway,
1: yeah, it's also not clear to me, you know who in the Democratic Party might even emerge.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, you know, we saw we saw Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg was in the administration. Now, a lot of other folks, you know, compete in the 2020 primary and they really didn't get, get much of anywhere. I mean, I think that um, a lot of people had like a good impression of Buttigieg coming out of the election, but it wasn't like he was some sort of dominant figure. And um, he had his, you know, he had a lot of Problems and trying to build an electorate of his own, including basically having no support at all with black voters who are such a key constituency within the party. Um, you know, I don't think Harris necessarily impressed anyone during during her uh, presidential bid, and um, you know, there's been a lot of grumbling about her as as vice president, fairly or unfairly. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, then you have other people who maybe didn't run uh, in the past, but maybe who would run now, you know, like Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan is someone I also sometimes think about here. Um, J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, um, you know, th- there's there, there a number of folks who, who probably would run if this was an open seat and who knows how they necessarily would, would, uh, um, would perform or, or if they could get nominated.
1: I'm really glad our listeners cannot see my face because there was some eye rolls, as you mentioned, some names. <laughs>
0: <on> that <laughs> <You list. laughs> keep that to yourself if you want or, or lay it out. But, um, you know, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, on one hand, there, there are a lot of people who are potentially plausible, but, you know, the thing is, and, and and I'm sure we'll get into this with, as we sort of look at particularly Ron DeSantis is that, you know, a lot of these candidates look great on paper and maybe they even pull. Well, I mean, DeSantis is polling really strongly for someone who is, um, who's not really a a huge national figure at this point, although maybe he's sort of becoming that. But um, he hasn't been tested at all as a presidential candidate, and so um, you know maybe he runs and does great, or maybe he flops and he doesn't it doesn't go well with the national audience. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of variables here, and again, you could say you could say that with uh, with any number of these Democrats. It just looks like none of them are all that interested in actually running against the sitting president.
1: Let's go back to President Biden's speech, uh, State of the Union speech, for for just a moment. Um, He focused primarily on the economy. Um, He didn't really go into some of the key cultural issues. Um, There was some mention of reproductive rights for women, saying that he would veto any attempts um, to ban abortion. Um, But really, the substance of his speech was a pretty stark contrast, at least in my opinion, to Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders' response for the Republicans. And, you know, even when he discussed policing, he centered the voices of the parents of Tyree Nichols, um, who who died uh, a week and a half ago or so as we're recording this, um, and, you know, talked about the, the talks that black parents have with their kids. But at the same time, in discussing the need for police reform, he also, you know, really spent even more time, I think, outlining the strains uh, that law enforcement is under. Um, but I wonder if you might just talk a little bit more broadly about what the content of Biden's speech might reveal about where he and the party are headed as we look into 2024. Um, you know, another kind of key aspect of it was his emphasis on bipartisanship. I mean, kind of right out the gates, he, he talked about signing over 300 uh, bipartisan pieces of legislation. You know, he Throughout the speech talked about, you know, trying to work together. Um, uh, and and I think, you know, my favorite was sort of the opening laugh line about, you know, uh, you know, f- looking to work together. But hopefully that wouldn't ruin your but I know that might ruin your reputation as he looked to Kevin McCarthy.
0: I thought, you know, the, the, the sort of the front end of the speech, really, the first half or even more was was a lot of just kind of like old school New Deal Democratic Party stuff. Um you know, talking about manufacturing, talking about infrastructure, talking about jobs. Um, which look, I mean, that's, that's sort of the focus of the electorate. I mean, a lot of a lot of the public believes that the uh, um, that the economy is not strong, and inflation remains a problem. Um, Gallup had some polling from earlier this week that said that. Uh, um, uh, about fifty percent of Americans said that their financial position was worse today than it was a year ago, um, which is a fairly high number. Is it's akin to what the numbers look like during the, um, you know, the the sort of economic collapse and recession problems in 2008, 2009. And so um, there's just a lot of pessimism about the economy. And so I think Biden tried to um, give a little bit of a pep talk and try to point out some of the things that that he thinks are, are going well, that maybe he thinks that people don't don't know about. Again, whether that's successful or not, who knows? Um, and yeah, I think a lot of the sort of kind of cultural issues, um, uh, you know, I, he, he focused on less, although I think specifically in the aftermath of... You know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the reproductive rights issue. Um, I don't necessarily know if Biden needs to talk about that that much for it to be a motivator for people, because I, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously it's a super important issue for people on both sides of that divide. And, you know, look, I mean, I think that the, Um, You know, people who supported Roe v. Wade um, are probably more likely to be motivated by it going away than 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 those who oppose it. And and, and now they've sort of gotten gotten their gotten their wish. Um, And so, you know, it kind of reminds me in some ways of like in the 2018 campaign, um, Democrats didn't really talk about Trump that much. Um, And it was in part because they didn't have to, because they knew that their own voters were extremely motivated by that. Um, And the same thing may be true on the reproductive rights issue. And again, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff Biden talked about and wants to do, he's not going to get through Congress anyway, because – Republicans control the house. And so there, there isn't going to be anything um, that comes out of the house on that, on, on the reproductive rights issue that the Democrats are going to like anyway. Um, you know, maybe there's a Supreme court fight over the next year or two that, that where that issue sort of um, uh, becomes, be, becomes more sort of a, a, sort of a top line national talking point, but the motivation I think is, is still there from a political standpoint. And so I know, I know people said, Oh, well, I think you focused on it for, you know, just a few lines basically, but um but again, I think that that it's it's still front and center in a lot of people's minds and going to continue.
1: All right. So one final question for this week, Kyle. You noted the sparring between, especially Marge- Marjorie Taylor Green, um, the comparisons, all the memes on the internet um, to Cruella Deville. Um, also, I saw a lot of Howler Monkey comparisons. Uh, And also Speaker McCarthy's shushes (laughs) um, uh, to some of the Republican caucus. You know, what does this really reveal about members of Congress and any potential for uh, moving forward? You know, look,
0: I mean, I think that that clearly the relationship between the White House and the Democratic-controlled Senate and and the Republican House is going to be strained. Um, There's a lot of animosity there. Uh, Of course, we've got this debt ceiling fight coming up later this year. The threat of default is there um, if there's no you know agreement reached or if the debts obviously if the debt ceiling is not raised um but beyond that i thought that you know one of the just the takeaways for me and i talked about this in the piece was that um you know part of the republicans problem i think is just that that you know like sarah huckabee sanders was talking about the divide between uh um uh, uh you know basically being uh, being normal or being crazy and you know i She wasn't talking. She was trying to say that about the Democrats, but I think for a lot of voters, her own, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' party is is deficient, or they come out on the wrong end of that, and that's cost them some elections. And I dunno, you know, I thought that the Sanders speech was was pretty heavy on sort of culture war things that I think a lot of people who are kind of plugged in and pretty conservative would be nodding along with. But for the general public, I don't necessarily know if um some of those things really really register all that much. And, you know, the 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 behavior by some of the members, you know, clearly Kevin McCarthy wanted his own caucus to be um, to, to be sort of less engaged and, and more quiet, and they just weren't. Um, and you know, Democrats, I think, are just going to continue to try to make the case that um, well, you know whatever you might think of us, the other side is just ill-equipped to govern, that they're they're irresponsible and immature. Um, and you know, in its own small way, I think that that what happened on Tuesday maybe maybe sort of reinforced that. So um, there's just some. I don't know, growing up to be done on the Republican side, if they really want to maximize their electoral position. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I don't necessarily know if we've, we really, we've really seen a whole lot of that. So, um, you know, that's just something to keep in mind as we move ahead here, because, you know, ultimately, like, just to, just to tie a bow on this, like, is Biden beatable in 2024? Like, absolutely. I mean, his approval is not very good. There are concerns about his his capacity to, to do the job, et, et cetera um but a lot of it's just going to depend on what the alternative is because these things as we found out in 20, even in the 2022 midterm you know midterms are often referendums that election was not at least not in a lot of key places you know if, if 2024 is a referendum on Biden that's probably going to be trouble for him. But if it's more of a choice, uh, to, you know, then and, and, and the Republican alternative is not that good, Biden could definitely win again. So this is something that, you know, this is something that Republicans, I think, really need to keep in mind as they um, plot out their course for the next uh, for the next uh, couple of years. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Faze. Learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at center number four politics. You can also send us a recording of your questions or ideas for strengthening democracy to virginia.edu. Until next time.